0: this week's episode of the 1099 podcast is brought to you by my brand new fixed computer it's back it's not broken anymore the hard drive is fixed there's not crazy smoke pouring out that wasn't happening but there was definitely a point where i thought smoke might start pouring out i just want to do a quick intro to let everyone know that today's episode of the 1099 podcast is with chris charla who heads up the id at xbox program we talk about indies, we talk about what it takes to get a game on the program, what it's like competing with Sony and Nintendo, um, Cuphead, different successes they've had. A lot of cool stuff. I've known Chris for a while, we've almost worked together multiple times on feature stories for like IGN and GameSpot and stuff like that. So it was cool to finally sit down and talk to him. He's a wealth of knowledge and I feel like the Xbox One indie side has really grown a lot. And I think that's a lot because of him and his team, so hopefully you enjoyed today's episode. I am now scheduling a whole bunch of new guests. Uh, There was that brief week or two where I couldn't do anything because everything was broken in my apartment. But we have people like Jeff Kanata that should be happening in the very near future. Uh, Full Metal Furies, uh, I'm talking to Cellador Games. We actually, my PC crashed during that podcast. Hopefully we can do that podcast again, reschedule it. We talked about Rogue Legacy, Full Metal Furies, what it's like creating games in this current indie environment, um, how much you expect at launch versus the long tail. A lot of stuff going on there. Um, Also going to be talking to some more MMA people. Some of these aren't confirmed, but they're just about wrapped up, and I'll announce them on Twitter. But you could be seeing people like Luke Thomas, who hosts the Luke Thomas show on SiriusXM and also writes for MMA fighting. Uh, I have a podcast planned with Brian Hayes, the man behind EA Sports UFC 3. I got a lot of support for the Chuck Hall episode. That was um, a surprise how many people really enjoyed that. So I'll be doing a few more similar ones like that. Quick favor, if you could, please follow me at Josiah Renaudin on Twitter. And also please follow at The1099Podcast on Twitter. I really appreciate that. If that account has more Twitter followers, people will take it seriously. And then I keep getting bigger guests. People will be like, oh, that, that shit's important. I'm going to go on that show. Uh, also, the subreddit is just uh, The1099. That is... Growing. I have a lot of incredible listeners and friends of mine who are working on it and have done great stuff to make it look like people are actually professionals doing it. So check all that stuff out. And lastly, please go to iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use, search for the 1099 podcast and leave a review. Give it five glowing stars, explain why you like it, and that'll help people find it. That's the goal. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do stuff like that. I've seen a lot of great reviews not trying to ask too much of you. Hopefully, just, just like, hey, leave one quick review. Takes two minutes and then leave. And then boom, all these free podcasts. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the wonderful Chris Charla. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the 1099 for the week of February 19th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is the director of ID at Xbox and Microsoft, the former executive producer at Backbone Entertainment, and an avid skateboarder, Chris Charla. Chris, how are you doing today? Good, good. I'm like a terrible skateboarder,
1: but, <laughs> but I guess avid is a good way to put it. But I feel but like a lot good. of your
0: tweets surround skateboarding, so maybe that's just the sense I've gotten from your Twitter I, handle. I'm like, man, I think Chris is just always skateboarding from place to place.
1: I do really like it, but I am really not a good skateboarder. But but it's fun to um um be, it's fun to be into something where you're not part of it. You know mm. what I mean? Like yeah. I'm in the game industry, but I love games. But it's just different when you're in the game industry and skateboarding. I'm just uh, like a fan and a scrub and so it's an enjoyable way to enjoy it
0: it's also something you can always get better at just about no matter what like it's one of those i can keep working at this as a hobby there's some hobbies where you kind of plateau and skateboarding seems like something you don't plateau at is it something you've been doing since you were like a kid no well i i did when i was
1: really little but then i could never afford my own skateboards you know Mm. i was using other people's skateboards and then um and then i bought my son a skateboard and i was like oh let me me try it and i was like Oh, this is really fun. And um, I have a little bit more dough now, so I bought myself a skateboard and uh, and then just sort of actually really took it up later in life. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it's really fun. The thing I like about skateboarding is that, um, you know, it, 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 like, I mean, this is just like one of the rules for skateboarding is that if you try and do something like a thousand times and then you do it once, that like counts. That's yeah. like you did it. And, and so like all skateboarding, you know, if you watch any skate videos, it's basically people just messing up over and over and over (laughs) again and then just they finally get it and that's it they got it you know what i mean like you and so um the kind of like uh i mean you know the um persistence the way persistence is rewarded uh Mm. in skateboarding i think is really really cool and it's um it's fun and uh, for me because i'm so bad it's fun (laughs) even when i'm like messing up and um and failing and you know so yeah i enjoy it
0: do you have a favorite skateboard that you own? Like a favorite design out of everything you have?
1: Yeah, I have a toy machine. Um, it's actually like a cruiser deck, almost like a pool deck. Like it's a, it's not like a standard popsicle. So I have um like I have that one. It's like a you know, so it's got like a distinct tail and nose. And that, that's what I use at parks. And then um for just pushing around, like if I'm, you know, like uh, you know, in a parking lot or on a street, I actually use an ID at Xbox skateboard. Um, and, uh, and, and it's, th- those are just popsicles and, um, uh, and it's really nice cause I have, I bought really light trucks and I bought like these, um, like filmer wheels so they look like these super soft, um, wheels and, uh, and, and that's just, that is really my speed. Like pushing around on a flat surface yeah. and not going to the hospital is kind of like, <laughs> that's what, that's. That's my skateboarding life.
0: <laughs> not going to the hospital sounds ideal. This entire conversation has made me want a new skate game and a new good Tony Hawk suddenly. I, I I'm not good at skateboarding, but I appreciate it from a distance. Thanks for coming on. I, I've wanted to talk to you for a while. I feel like we actually had like an email conversation years back when I was still writing for IGN about possibly doing like a cover story or a feature story about indie games at xbox. it's 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 been a long time. Uh, for people who don't know, just kind of, in your own words, what's the elevator pitch for ID at Xbox? What do you kind of see as like, all right, here is what we're setting out to do?
1: Okay. I mean, at the, at the total core level, it basically ID at Xbox is a program at Microsoft for enabling independent developers to self-publish their games onto Xbox and onto um, Windows 10 using Xbox Live. And that's, I mean, at the core of it, that's it.
0: How did you first get involved with the program? Because, of course, with Xbox One, when that released and that whole new set of consoles, it was obvious that indies were going to be a big part of it. There was going to be a greater investment in that. But how did you kind of get the tab for this job? Oh, well, so um,
1: I um, had been an independent developer for like 10 years before I came to Microsoft, and um, uh, it sort of in the battle days when independent developer was less, you know, working on your own properties and more, um, you know, exclusively working on other people's properties. But we had done some original IP and stuff. And um, we had also done like a ton of Xbox Live Arcade games. Uh, my company did a lot of um, arcade emulations and a lot of small games. And so I think we ended up doing like. But while I was there, I think we did, like, more than 25 XBLA games, maybe closer to 40 or something. So I loved XBLA. Um, I've always um, liked weird games. Um, I've always liked small games. When I was a game developer, I started on handheld, like, on Game Boy and uh, Game Boy Advance and stuff. And I just love the fact that you could, you know, my first project where I was full-time on the project when I joined um, Digital Eclipse, like, way back when, was, like like, a... three month project and it was like, great because you got into the game you got the the pain of being in the middle of the game the pain of shipping a game and the you know the pleasure of it being done and being satisfied with what you did and it was three months and then i was on to the next one and um i don't know if i have like attention deficit disorder or whatever but like small for me like like i can't listen to a song that's three minutes long i get bored you know and so like short shorter faster is just better so i really liked xbox live arcade games and eventually um got a job at microsoft working uh in first party publishing um for xbox live arcade um and helping to you know get get xbla games onto the platform and then as the you know 360 was um not coming to an end but i guess as we were getting ready to launch xbox one like a year out um um we realized we needed to change some of the ways that we were working with independent developers like i think what what Microsoft did on 360, and I'll use Microsoft in the, the third person because I wasn't here then. Yeah. Um, was amazing and like so pioneering. what Microsoft did with enabling digital distribution on console, um, you know, created this incredibly fertile environment where you saw all these amazing games, you know, pop up. And and I think people forget um you know today we live in this awesome economy where you know whether it's your phone or your pc or your console you can you just have access to almost every video game that's ever been created practically Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like that even 10 years ago and um and the the game industry itself was you know there were still great games being made and lots of innovation happening but in terms of like distribution methods it was really like uh calcified almost, you know, there was one method which was like you make a disk and then you send them to stores and then you sell them and people buy them and I mean, that was it and what Microsoft did with, you know, both enabling you know, downloadable content um, and, and also enabling like distribute digital distribution of full games on console. Not that those things didn't exist previously, but Microsoft brought them into the mainstream and really pioneered them in a mainstream way on Xbox 360. And I, I know when I got my first, um, my 360, I got it on launch day, like stood out in like the freezing rain in Western Massachusetts (laughs) at a best buy to get it. And, um, and I bought a disc game and um, I threw the disc game in and I should have known, you know, better i guess i was excited because it was an hd console it was in my mother-in-law's house on like this ancient 4x3 tv and um you know and the game was really kind of like a ps2 port and it was just like nothing special and Mm -hmm. you know my you know girlfriend or i guess wife was like looking at me like what did you do and i was like oh my i can't believe i waited in the freezing rain for five (laughs) hours for this and then i downloaded like geometry wars and it's like oh my god like this is all aw- like this little game is awesome um you know in the, the the few games that were available on dlc day one uh or you know as uh, xvla games day one it was like this is a future like this is what's actually cool about this console um and of course graphically it was much better when i got home and attached it to an hdtv and everything like that but um um uh you know the, it just like my eyes just lit up at that and and um and, you know, it was just so neat. So I think Microsoft did amazing things like pioneering the space. And I, I always go back to 2008 when, um, you know, that first summer of Arcade when they launched um, Castle Crashers and they launched um, Braid, which oh, I think was yeah. just an incredibly, you know, I don't think, you know, people, John Blow is a controversial figure, but I really don't think he gets enough credit for what a pioneer he was and, like, what he was doing in a space where, like, he was making Braid for years before that, and he, he had contracted a little bit my company, so I knew him. And, um, um, and um, he, he was making this game with, like, there's not going to be any way to distribute this game to a mainstream audience. I mean, yes, you could sell downloadable games on PC, but at the time, you know, Steam didn't even really exist as a thing. Um, and he built this game, and it happened to just coincide with when, like, the, you know, the technology for distributing a game like that came up through Xbox Live Arcade. And to me... Um, it all comes that that 2008 year um, with all those games just created this incredible flowering of independent content. To actually answer the question, <laughs> um, by you know 2012, it was only four years later, um, but we were getting ready to, you know, we were thinking about what Xbox One was going to be, and our all our paradigms or how we work with independent developers had we out of date. I mean, just being, you know, just brutally honest. They were, they made tons of sense in 2007 and 2008. Um, but, but, you know, um, independent developers didn't need a publisher anymore. You know, yeah. the, the, that paradigm was changing and um, independent developers just wanted to be like left alone to like make their games. And so as we um, started thinking about how we were going to do Xbox one, um, a bunch of different people at Microsoft, um, you know, worked had different ideas for how we were going to work with independent developers and um you know i i think we might have been slow to announce how we were going to do it back at the time and, and certainly we took some lumps for that among other things at, at around when we announced xbox one but i think we always kind of had an idea of what we were going to do and and people had different ideas and but it it all coalesced into id at xbox and really um you know we we had kind of th- you know, two or three core notions. One was we were no longer going to have a product category called Xbox Live Arcade. Oh, yeah. That, you know, our consumers were sophisticated enough to understand the value proposition of digital content versus, you know, say like retail content in terms of scale. And our our store was sophisticated enough and our developers were sophisticated enough. And that on Xbox One, we were just going to have video games. And there was going to be a store that sold video games and it would sell you know, Castle Crashers right next to Call of Duty and and that wouldn't be a problem. And that was, you know, today it seems totally obvious. But, but you know, in, in 2012, that was, you know, certainly internally, that was controversial. Um, and the, the, the other thing that we really decided was that, you know, we were going to have an open program. We talked a lot internally about ideas of things that looked a little bit like other programs that eventually came out other places. But, um, you know, where we eventually settled was like, just open this thing up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, on Xbox, every game has to go through concept approval to make sure that it's going to deliver, like, a, a you know, a um, certain level of console quality to our players. And that's a promise we make to our players. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, oh, we'll have, you know, one slot per indie per year, you know, some kind of crazy thing like that. Um, you know, that was just... Um, y- y- we just decided that was silly. That wasn't where the market was going. It wasn't what developers wanted. And, you know, we went out and talked to dozens and dozens of developers about different ideas as we were coming up with the program that became idea at xbox and um and you know and and what they wanted was clear just like give us platform access and we'll take care of the rest and 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 so ultimately we're that's that's what the program is right you know yeah. at, the, at the at the bottom uh, at the core level the program you know sometimes they joke around like it's it's just a it should be boring you know this is <laughs> this is the way you self publish and and you know and our con- north star when we started and it's our north star like every day since then has just been just like make life easy for developers and like everything else will be okay and yeah. you know we we knew we needed to have super broad content on Xbox 1 we knew we needed to have super diverse content on Xbox 1 and we certainly knew that we're not going to get there without independent developers. Um and I think if you look at at any uh, you know console marketplace right now, uh, independent developers are you know hugely important. Um and so and we knew the way to get them was to make life as easy as possible and ultimately that's been our goal with with at Xbox since since day one, just like make things easy for developers, everything else kind of takes care of itself.
0: Yeah, just remove barriers so they can just actually make the games and get them out there and like you said, you're not having oh, it's our one allotted indie game for this half of the year. Now we need yeah, to wait exactly. for the next big one to happen. It's funny, you just going through that history, it, there's a lot of people who play games and complain about how certain business practices are and how games are in general in 2017 and 2018. I totally get it. But there's also, you forget how... Fast these things have moved where you're right the idea of self-publishing wasn't really around you always needed a publisher before the fact that uh, Geometry Wars was incredible but you think about Xbox Live Arcade back then uh, starting as this idea of like these smaller five or ten dollar arcade games that weren't you know yeah. a lot of people didn't see them as quote-unquote real video games and now we have things like uh, like Bastion came out later and now we have Pyre which was one of my favorite games from last year which is this indie game that is a uh, massive in scope and this incredible team behind it there's there's people who are investing in this way that's really interesting and i mean beyond the growth from xbox 360 to 2018 right now how far do you feel your team has come personally from the launch of the xbox one to now in terms of not just results? But perception, because you did mention there was a little bit of a rocky launch at the start and you you took your lumps and you kind of had this plan all along, but it just took a while to implement it. I remember um, one of my first like big IGN cover stories was in 2013 about this big push for Sony at the time with PS4. Like this is the new indie haven was kind of the, the concept of it. I talked to a lot of developers about that. But since then, I do feel like that's flipped in a lot of senses. How do you kind of evaluate the work your team has done to change that perception?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I, the, the easiest way to answer that question is I don't evaluate it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, you know, like if, if, if there's never going to be a day where I, you know, like put my feet up on my desk and say, like, well <laughs> done, done, boy. You know, like, <laughs> um, so one of the kind of things we established at the very beginning, you know, of, of this generation is we, we saw how, you know, Sony was doing, do, doing awesome. And, you know, we realized that, you know, you can't, we can't worry about that like I, the only thing I can control is like what's in front of me and my keyboard and my phone and my screens. And, um, and we just had to like do as good a job as we can, like for our, ourselves. And we, you know, we said we were going to do a lot for developers. And I think there was, you know, some sex, some skepticism, mm-hmm. uh, which is totally fair. Um, you know, given how, you know, people had had some Rocky, you know, things at the end there on 360 um, And, you know, all we could do is say like, okay, well, you know, we said what we're going to say and now watch what we do and you know ultimately judging like how, how we've done is i think in the that's something that's best done by you know the press or developers and and you know it's, certainly it's awesome when i have a, a you know a developer come up to me to show and say like thank you so much or, like this was so easy um but but you know it feels great like of yeah. course um but i'm also always looking for the developers who are saying like why is this not working or like how do i do that or like can we do this other thing and you know and that's you know to me like we're we we need to focus on the id team is always just like how can we do better and there's always stuff we can do better and and i don't mean that we're like humorless people who never you know have fun or think about our success <laughs> like we're we're super happy with like how things are going and i think you know on a day-to-day basis people on the team like have a good time and and you know we're, we have fun and we're totally celebrate the great things our developers do but like um we We we're not like self-congratulatory. You know, we're like yeah. cause, you know, it's awesome that this game did great. Like, but you know what? Like how long did they spend in CERT? Like could we have gotten them through cert like a week earlier? Would that have given us a week more flexibility to do blah, blah blah? And uh, like let's let's go figure that out. And so i I, I hope that that's kind of like the spirit that we that we usually. Operate in, which is just constantly focusing on just like, hey, how can we do better? And um, you know, I I, I I do feel, you know, if I took a step out, I, I would say that you know, m- most developers you talk to who've worked with the ID team um, have had a pretty good experience, and that feels that feels awesome. Yeah. Like it, it feels really really good. Um, but but the thing we focus on is just making sure that like that we don't screw up, and that we constantly <laughs> keep you know making it better for everybody.
0: I've always felt that. Your team and just kind of the Xbox division as a whole is really good at not worrying about what everyone else is doing around them or focusing on what they're doing. And I know this whole indie thing isn't exactly a competition with other console providers out there, but does having a Sony or a Nintendo out there looking to sign other exclusives, looking to bring other indies, does that motivate you? Are you thinking about the competition and keeping an eye on what they do when you're out there, or is it healthier, maybe just be more? introspective and worried about your team
1: you know we're not like living in a bubble you know i have a switch i have a ps4 i play you know games on all those consoles i've got a vita in front of me right now and a 3ds in my pocket you know um uh so we think about what our competitors are doing and i do think competition is good because it makes you you know bring your a game at all at all times and um you know certainly when i talk to you know my friends who work for nintendo or playstation like we you know, we chat, you know, at shows and everything like that. And we know that a lot of times we're going for the same game. And um, I, I think that's great. You know, I think that kind of sense of healthy competition is totally great because it does make everybody work harder. And the beneficiaries of that really is developers and then players when they get to play the games. Um, that said, I think probably the, the best tool is Twitter, right? Like I <laughs> yeah. like I, Twitter has a lot of issues, okay? and uh, But I will say that when we started ID in in 2013, and for the next couple of years, like to me, that was a great barometer of how we were doing because, you know, developers certainly aren't shy about um, telling the world how they're doing on Twitter and um, and, you know, letting us know where we maybe were uh, dropping the ball or letting us know when we were doing well. And that was like a, I don't know if it's quite as good now, but for a long time, that was like a really fantastic barometer to see how we were doing. And I, and I actually liked, um, you know, working under that sort of sword of Damocles of Twitter because it meant that you couldn't goof off. You know what yeah. I mean? We couldn't slack and, and hope people weren't going to notice because if you slack, you know, a developer's going to tell the world. And so I, I actually feel like that, that provides a lot of motivation. And, um, you know, I think for some people that horrifies them uh, for, for, for our team, for the ID team, I think maybe because we're a new team, I, I don't know, like um, that, that is actually really motivational.
0: People will say things on Twitter that they will not say to your face or over an email. Sometimes people will just let loose in a way. And like you said, Twitter has its own problems, but that has to be useful when you really want the information that maybe you otherwise wouldn't get by just talking to people. That's uh, right. There's a yeah. lot of stuff out there where suddenly you're like, okay, I didn't even know this person thought this and had this issue with cert or this issue with this stage of the process. But now I know because they're venting on Twitter. Yeah,
1: it, it's been really good. I, I do think maybe it's, I mean, I think Twitter's got issues. So I don't know if yeah. I would, you know, and you have to be careful about how much you, um, you know, how much stock you put in everything. You know, it's it's something you have to be thoughtful about, but it is um, it is a great tool or has been a great tool in the past for taking the barometer of developers for sure.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to Eric Pope, who works on the uh, For Honor team and mentioning how like when you're in the community, you look at Twitter not for solutions to the problems but for the problems that people are talking about so like okay there's a lot of people having issues with this and a lot of people on twitter will present their solutions and they've never created a video game so it's like they don't know how this works um but it's good at least pinpointing what you need to look at you mentioned before you you do talk to different people who you know work at nintendo or sony and you know you're sometimes going for the same game how does exclusivity work on idea at xbox is that something that is this blanket here is our policy or is it really project to project and game to game i don't know <laughs> it works <laughs> in a
1: way that we don't really talk about it publicly um, <laughs> okay, uh, um yeah uh you know, we, we're we always eager to, like, see cool games, and so, you know, if we're at a trade show or something like that, we're, we're always eager to check out games that we haven't seen before, um, you know, and, and if a developer applies and you know, they've got a neat game, you know, from our perspective, we want players to see awesome games, and, you know, there's so many games that come out now. If there's a game that comes through that, you know, looks pretty special, that's going to be something where we really want to... Um, make sure people see it. And, you know, whether that's, you know, making sure that we feature it at E3 on stage or feature it like at a trade show, at a PAX or something like that. Like there's there's all different sort of ways, but there's definitely no, um, there's no um, formula at all.
0: Okay. Uh, featuring games, it's like you do have these different platforms, these different resources where you can feature them and you have a, a big button on your site to like, hey, apply for the ID at Xbox program. But do you spend personally... the majority of your time searching high and low for new creative indies to publish on Xbox one is a lot of your job finding those gems that wouldn't otherwise just be funneled directly to your website.
1: Yeah. um, We, we find things lots of different ways, but yeah, we, we have people at at, at like uh, as many trade shows and conferences, small ones and big ones um, around the world through a year as we possibly can. Like I think, um, Last year, certainly, we had people on, you know, six continents um, looking at games Um, and uh, and 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 it's a never ending quest because you I mean, one of the great things about the democratization of game development that's happened over the last like 10, 15 years is it's you know, it's no longer that the best games are going to come from San Francisco, Austin, Seattle and Tokyo and London um now great game can come from any place you know one one of the games i'm most excited about right now is um a game called ooblets by a a studio called glumberland and they're in new england they're i think they're in new hampshire and they're not in a big city Mm. um but they can you know today with the internet and tools like you can be anywhere in the world and so it's probably more work for us but it's um it is super fun um just to get out there and to meet people and, and try and find new games
0: it is really cool just how global it's become i had rami ismail on this podcast a while back and something he said he said that really stuck with me is you know when he's doing these different talks internationally you're talking to people who they might have creative development ideas that the normal person in like california or new york or anything like that just wouldn't have because they haven't played maybe as many video games they might not already have these preconceived notions about what a video game is or what this certain genre is so they can break those conventions because they have these fresh ideas outside of games do you have any stories from people you've maybe a country you wouldn't expect who had an indie game that really blew you away
1: i'm i'm trying to think um off the top of my head um i don't there might be some people we're talking to but, um, um, you know, I, I think about things like, um, you know, a game like Beyond Eyes, yeah. um, which which came out on Xbox and, and PC and stuff a little while ago. I mean, that was a game from from somebody who wasn't a traditional game maker and brought, like, a totally different, you know, take on what a game should be um, because of that. And I, I think that, like, those kind of efforts are really, really cool. The thing that I've um, noticed going around and that I think is actually really, really neat um, is that I, I think we're starting to see... Um, game scenes build up in in a similar way that you see music scenes I built up.
0: I love it, yeah.
1: Where, where you, know, it, you know, you can talk about, like, oh, there's a Seattle band, you know, and in the 90s, that really kind of meant something, like what a Seattle band was versus, say, like an East Bay band or, or you know, a, a London band. And I think we're actually starting to see that in games now. And I, and I don't mean, like, every game that's developed in Seattle is the same or every game that's developed in L.A. is the same, but there's flavors. I mean, I, I really believe this, that there are distinct flavors that you see um in an L.A. game that's different than a Seattle game that's different than a, you know, a London game or a Tokyo game or a Stockholm game or a Huvda game or a Copenhagen game. And I think that's fantastic. And I actually think, in some respect, that is actually a function of just how many games are being built now. Mm -hmm. You know, when there were only... 100 games coming out a year it's hard to develop these kind of regional flavors right but when there's you know tons and tons of games coming out a year when there's you know 40 games coming from seattle developers a year toronto devs or montreal devs you really do start to see these kind of um you know, local flavor build up and I don't think it is something where it um you know comes out in just genre type or something like that. And I and I do think you probably had to play a lot of games to kinda to see this. But I but to me it's one of the most like really interesting things that like um um this kind of regionalism, uh I hope for that's the right word. Um I think is really, really cool. And it, it does give you the sense that when you play a game from from someplace that's across the world they're seeing the world differently and you're seeing the world differently through their game. And, you know, hopefully in a, you know, a small way, that's kind of like, um, you know, mind expanding or, or or point of view expanding. And so, um, I love it. It's one of my favorite things about playing games at all is that, you know, you get to see the world through another point of view. And, um, the fact that they're you know, I can now see the world from, you know, the point of view of somebody who's in Brazil, um, or, you know, somebody who's in, you know, you know, a, a country in Africa that, you know, it's going to be hard for me to ever visit, um, you know, to me is like a really positive development.
0: It's one of my favorite things about games right now. I think you're right. I think it is because of just the pure, the sheer number of games that are being released, because when everything needs a publisher and publishers have certain ideas of what the game should look like or, hey, this other game is other publishers you know created there's certain aspects we want to implement in our game because it did well and it's going through play testing and a lot of the maybe the culture of the creativity it doesn't get completely like sanded off but it it's more focused into what we expect games to be and when you have these people who are working without a publisher kind of hanging over their head they can make these games that are more unique and specific to their regions. So like you said you get like a, a group of chicago games or here's the, the seattle games or uh even like here's the uk kind of area where that there's certain games like that it's really fascinating uh i've had one of the games that's come up the most on this podcast when i had uh lauren landing and michael pactor on and every time i ever talked to them they talked about cuphead before cuphead ever came out they were just like, I, I see something here that could be massive. And I. every single time there was a reel of indie games coming to Xbox, everyone would see the first time I saw that game, I'm like, what was that? Wait, hold on. Like, yeah. go back in the video, pause it. What was that? Is that real? Just, I don't personally know the story that well. It's been out there a little bit. How did Cuphead come together?
1: Yeah, I mean Cuphead to me is it's actually probably a good example of what you asked about before about, you know, games from people who aren't used to making games. Yeah. Like I think you look at Cuphead now and like any, you know, super successful project, it feels like inevitable. Like of course Cuphead was going to sell millions of copies and blah blah blah. But um but you know, th- the game started two brothers who'd never made a game. Uh, one of them heard about Unity and was like, "Oh wow, we can do this now." And then you go back to their childhood, and they grew up, I think, in you know, pretty rural part of Canada. And their parent, and they had like an NES, and they played you know, a ton of run and gun games on NES. And their parents bought them a ton of those like um, cheap public domain uh, animated shows that you'd buy on like VHS at the supermarket. Yeah. And um, you know, this is like a thing that kids today who have access to youtube you know don't don't understand but it used to be there was no youtube and you you know your parents would buy you a like a bad vhs tape with like half an hour of animation (laughs) on it and you'd watch it like 600 times because that was life and somehow these brothers were like you know what we should do let's make a running gun and let's hand animate every frame like these movies that we liked when we were kids and you know it that that is not an idea that was going to come from somebody, in my opinion, who'd been in the game industry a really long time. Yeah. Because they were going to know just how hard that was going to be to do. They were going to know just what the chances of success were going to be, which is not high. And uh, and they would move on to the next idea. But you know, Chad and Jared uh, and 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 Maya, um, you know, were 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 passionate, and they were like, "Let's just do this thing," and they went for it. And we had. a opportunity you know again goes back to like always looking for cool games we saw that game really really early and um um someone on the ID at xbox team was like we should we should work with these guys and um and uh and so we featured it at e3 and i think we showed um like less than seven seconds of footage um at e3 um 2014 and uh um it just blew up yeah. and the and the cool thing about that is if you talk to the um the studio mdHR guys I think that the attention that they got from e3 like convinced them to like go all in and uh, and so you know there was some kind of cool feedback loop there and then they spent the next you know um however many years just like working on the game and um and and then it it showed up and you know just... Did tremendously well, and to me, the most amazing thing about the game is not the the art and animation, although clearly the art and animation is like ridiculous and amazing. But to me, the most amazing thing is that they developed an incredibly tight, super well designed, super fun, despite being really difficult, uh, uh, video game on their first try. Like that (laughs) never happens. Like no one makes a game that quality. Their first try. It's unbelievable.
0: Because, like, yeah, you'd at least maybe imagine if some artists came in and like, all right, we're going to try a video game, that the art would be good no matter what, even if the game part isn't good. And I know just people I was talking to are worried, like, is Cuphead going to be a good video game or just a good looking game? And the fact that it came out the way it did is really something else. And it's funny you mentioned that story about kind of the the buzz it got after that seven seconds on screen really motivating the developers. It's so good to hear that because so often you hear the opposite of maybe a poor showing and developers being bummed out or a little bit demoralized by Twitter responses or just the overall response to actually hear someone getting that positive feedback and going all in is really awesome. What does a success like that do for your program? Because sure, not everyone's going to be the next Cuphead, but... Two people come in, haven't made a game. They make this incredible game, sells super well, critically acclaimed. Have you seen an influx of submissions since Cuphead's come out? I don't think so. No, actually, like we we have a lot.
1: We have a really good submission flow just generally. We have a lot of people, um, you know, who join the program on a regular basis and stuff like that. And I think, like to me, Cuphead, like I like I don't want you know it, that was a, a an exception, not the rule. Um, but like, uh, um. um I do think it is properly inspirational to people to, to know that, you know, you put in all that work and those guys went, went all in, um, you know, financially and, and personally and everything like that. And to see the, um, to see that return, is just, um, it's just fantastic. I don't think every game is going to be a cuphead, but, yeah. um, but it, it, has been great. And it really did cap off just like, a, um, um, you know, a, a, Honestly, just a fantastic year for for developers who are part of the Idea at Xbox program.
0: You mentioned that healthy influx of submissions. You know, I'm like, yeah, like this, a lot of submissions coming in at different times. I I, I kind of think of you just from maybe an uneducated person's perspective. Uh, I think of you kind of as an editor at a website where you're waiting for different pitches from freelancers. Where it's like, all right, what a, I want to see something that really grabs my attention, something that grabs my eye. Uh, for the different submissions that you get, is there anything spe- it's in particular, whether it be the look of the game, the gameplay, genre, whatever, that really helps a game stand out? If someone's listening to this right now and they're considering submitting their game to the ID at Xbox program, do you have kind of tips for this is what normally grabs our attention or is it I know it when I see it kind of thing?
1: The answer is not really. Um, it, it, you know, w- What I would encourage people to do is to do you know what they're passionate about. Um, And, you know, one of the things that we try really hard to do in the program is to make sure that every game gets an equal shot at, you know, things like promotions, like being part of E3 or being – we do a couple promotions around GDC that are really, really cool. And, um, you know, we know we can't, um, you know, um, feature everyone at something like E3. There's only so many kiosks and there's only so much time on stage. But one thing that's just a, a really hard and fast rule in the program is that like everyone gets a shot. So we okay. will send out an email um, to people and say like, hey, you know, our, our GDC review is coming up. If you'd like to be considered with your game, uh, you know, let us know. Send us a video. Let us know if you'd be able to attend GDC. Um, and then we will get um, a a big crew of a, a really diverse crew of folks on the program who, um, you know, like all different kinds of games. Um, and, uh, and we'll just get in a room for, like, three days and watch videos. Like, it's it's probably, like, the most fun. Yeah, that sounds um, both
0: fun and exhausting.
1: It, it's super fun. It's super exhausting. It's probably the most fun um, time of the year, other than maybe, like, the E3 show itself. Because you're getting to see, like, all these cool new games. And you're getting to see games. And we, we see the games when they come in, um, you know, for concept submission. But then you get to see it again. It's, like, further down the road. It's more polished. And then, um, you know, we... we we kind of curate there based on, you know, what we think people like and making sure we have a good diverse spectrum of, of genres and looks and games and creators and everything like that. And then we ask for builds and then we spend a few days playing builds, um, you know, and, and then, you know, hopefully end up with a good, you know, um, you know, sl- slate of games that we take to, uh, to GDC and, and, you know, and then to other shows. And, um, um, you know, again, it's one of those things where like, you can't, include everybody but you can make sure everybody has an opportunity to be included and, and to me that's one thing that's like really important about the program there's a lot of promotional things that we do um that everybody gets included in um and it, it, it e3 every year we try and make sure there's something that like every single game that wants to be part of can be part of um you know we've done things like print out boxes of cards of screenshots and a couple of years ago we gave away a little uh, uh xbox um USB memory stick um, that actually had information about, you know, hundreds of games on it. Um, But, you know, we want to make sure that everybody has an equal shot to be to be included.
0: You mentioned before that this program does give you flexibility where you don't just have one big indie game a year or, or two every quarter or something like that. But do you have a certain number in your head for we really can't promote or like? sign this like too many games what if during that that showing where you're looking at all those games you like every single one and think each one is unique and creative in its own way can you just go with all of them or is that not possible
1: no there's only you know there there's only so many kiosks at uh at e3 you know and so if, if we get a number um and you know i think that one thing that's really cool about microsoft is that microsoft um indie games are not, or games from independent developers, I should say, um, are not like a a fad to Microsoft. Like, Mm -hmm. we see these games as, like, crucial for our players' satisfaction and crucial for our platform. And um, if you look at the support that Microsoft has given um, and the the spotlight that Microsoft has put on games from independent developers, that E3 is, like, the perfect example where, um, you know, I think last year... Gosh, I don't even know how many games uh, were were coming through the at Xbox program that were on stage, but I, I think I'm pretty sure it was more than twenty. Um, you know, we take it seriously, yeah. but at the same time, you know, there's only so much square footage on the show floor, and I, uh, you know, there's only so many kiosks you get. So if you if you have thirty kiosks, you do have to make you know decisions about you know what you're going to show. And it's based on when games are coming out and, and then making sure you're showing like a good diverse range. And, you know, like last year at E3, we were talking a lot about Xbox one X. You want to show games, you know, off that are showing off the new hardware and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Um, And it is always, like I mentioned the, the three days where we are watching videos and maybe the, 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 the most fun three days of the year, the three or four days when we're playing builds and making cuts is maybe like, the yeah. most painful three or four days of the year. And that happens for, you know, probably four or five times a year, just on different, like really big shows. And um, it's, it, you know, it, 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 anybody who curates anything knows like that's always like super, super painful. Um, and, and you, um, I don't know, there's no other way to put it.
0: Do you, um, have you had a case where you cut something in let's say like 2015, but then 2016, that same person comes back with a more complete thing and you actually release that in 2017 or 2018? Like, oh yeah, Do you, absolutely. you bring people oh, yeah. back?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, no question. Like, um, you know, we always encourage people to show us stuff as you know early as they can show it, you know, for something like uh, being included at E3. And, um, you know, if it doesn't work out one year and they're still in development the next year, like, absolutely. There have been games where um, one year where we're like, not quite ready. And the next year we're like, this is amazing. And, you know, and then it's ended up on stage or, or, or in the booth at E3 or that kind of thing. That That happens all the time.
0: And are you working a lot to help create the release calendar for a lot of these games because like we mentioned there's not really a summer of arcade thing anymore where it's here's four diverse big games in a row and then we're going to wait on indie games for a while but i'm assuming if you have three survival horror games that are all kind of done around the same time you don't want to release them in a group release them in a grouping like that do you try to stagger different things yeah, it's tricky because ultimately the
1: developers are the publisher, and so they're making like the decisions about when they want to be done with their game and when they want to release their game. What we try and do is provide um, as much advice as we can and as much data as we can about when it seems like a good time to release is versus a bad time to release. A lot of that comes down to time of year, you know, historically, how many games release that month. Ideally, you want to release in a month where not as many games release. Um, and... Um, and then if there's big titles coming usually they'll have a date announced right so if yeah. you know uh, you know a halo game is coming that date's going to be announced months in advance and we can tell people Halo's coming out on that day you might want to think about another day um, <laughs> uh, or if there's a situation where um, you know we know a game is coming out it hasn't been publicly announced we won't ever say what that is we, we obviously have to honor like everybody's confidentiality and we take that deeply seriously but we may say there's a big release happening that Wednesday you know or that Tuesday um, you know going the previous Friday or the following Friday you know might be a a better idea, but we would never, um, we would never violate confidentiality or anything like that. So we, we try and provide developers as much information as we can. And then, um, you know, and we trust them to, um, to, to, to be sophisticated and make the best decisions that they can for their own business with the information that, that we provide.
0: God, that has to be so much juggling though. Just, you know, when is this coming out versus when is that coming out? And, oh, and it's,
1: it's always tricky, you know, and, and it, it like, you know, tr- picking the perfect release schedule is not always possible in advance. But, you know, what, what we can do is just try and do the best we can.
0: Yeah. I asked you before if there's any specific genres or aspects of a game that you're looking for when you're going through all these different submissions. Kind of to flip that on its head. Are there any types of games that when you see let's see if you see another battle royale game or the 19th 2d platformer in a row is there anything you kind of just immediately go no we have too many of these or this isn't original enough does anything stick out
1: not, not really because you're always trying to evaluate each game on its own merits and mm-hmm. um you know um, you know every, every time you say like a genre is dead a game is going to come out that totally um proves you wrong yeah. right like I would have told you, Western games—there is zero chance a Western game could ever be successful as a video game, ever in history. And Red Dead Redemption came out, you know. <laughs> like, so yeah. you can't. Like, it's it's totally impossible, I, in my opinion, to like really like um, you know, sound the death knell for any kind of genre. I do think there's genres that are crowded. Um, and 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 um, you know, one of the things we always advise people to do when when they're getting ready to develop a game, especially as they're thinking about their commercial success is like when, when you're doing comps, like don't just look at the successful games in the genre, make sure you look at the sales, you know, that you can determine of the unsuccessful games. And then also just look at the number of games that came out in the genre and the percentage of those games that were successful by again, by whatever criteria the developer decides on, like we're not going to tell you whether success is selling 10,000 units or selling a hundred thousand units or selling a million units because you know, that those criteria are going to differ per developer, right? If I'm yeah. one person working in a low cost geography, 10,000 units might be like great, I just pay my rent for a year. Um, whereas if you're a 20 person team working in San Francisco, 10,000 units is like you know, food stamp time. So, um, so we just kind of give advice to developers. We do see a lot of sales data. We we share a lot of sales data when we can, um, you know, that's anonymized and everything like that. We try and give developers advice on, you know, uh, good ways to look at the data uh, and then make their own decisions.
0: Have you seen a lot of Battle Royale, you know, throw everyone on an island games since PUBG has blown up? Have you seen a lot of different examples of that?
1: Honestly, not as many as I was expecting.
0: Because <laughs> I just assume like at this point, everyone's like, go, go, go. Like you, you, you see the stuff on mobile and steam maybe more often where people can kind of get that there even more quickly, where it's just go for the biggest thing possible. Or when Candy Crush exploded, there's 8,000 different matching candy games on the iPhone. I'm, maybe is there a little bit of a higher barrier to entry that wouldn't allow that many of those types of games to get on there?
1: No, I mean it's it's um I mean it's a good question, but I I don't I guess I don't really know how to answer it because there's always going to be um games that you know chase another genre and there's always going to be games that you know are oh we were working on something that was already similar to that but it's slightly different, you know. And so um um I I guess I haven't I can't say that we've seen any games that are like, you know, like you know, oh my goodness, this is like <laughs> this is PUBG.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last couple of things, and again, I really appreciate your time. Uh, what have you seen? You mentioned before you're you're on Twitter and you're talking to these different developers about what could be better, what's already good, what what you could improve on. You're always trying to get better, and not just kick your feet up. What's been some of the best feedback you've had from any developers about the entire process as a whole? That's really you've really put into practice and helped change your program and and make it a cleaner, more streamlined thing.
1: Wow. So a lot of it is really um, not probably super interesting to talk about It's um, because it's things like, oh, when we submit to this portal, you know, it takes five hours to get the reply back. And like, why doesn't it take five minutes? And then we're like, why doesn't it take five minutes? You know, and and so then you work with, you know, another team at Microsoft for six months and all of a sudden now it's like 40 minutes and it's like, oh, okay, you know, we can still get it better. But like that. Wow. We just save developers, you know several hours so that's time that they could spend you know with their families or or whatever um and so but but it's hard to um um it's hard to make those things exciting as they should should be you know (laughs) what i mean um like they're big wins internally and we totally celebrate them but they're not like um i guess they're not super it's they're not super interesting um you know externally unless you're in game development
0: yeah, and I know I'm not going to get you to break any confidentiality or NDA or anything like that. But what's coming down the pipe for ID at Xbox in 2018 that you can talk about? What games are public that you kind of like to highlight?
1: Um, there's some like there are tons of super cool games coming. Um, I mentioned Ooblets before, um, Such which a I think is a great name is, too. Yeah, super fun. And my favorite thing about Ooblets is like. Anytime you're at a trade show and you're showing off Ooblets, you see people playing it and there's this sort of Ooblets dance. That's kind of, I don't know, iconic with the game. And you see people standing in front of the kiosk doing the dance and, you know, turning around in a circle, moving their arms up and down. And it's like, it always kills me when I see that. Like, I love it. Um, I think uh, below is going to be out this year, which I'm, I, I, people should be super, super excited about. Cause that game is going to be, um, well, it's just unbelievable. It's super cool. Um, um uh, and then a little bit further out, um, games like Deep, Deep Rock Galactic, um, I think, are going to be um, super amazing. Um, we showed that at E3, uh, and, um, and I don't think it was just a, a, a really cool – I don't know if you know much about it, but it's a um, – Not too much, no. So it's really cool. So it's a four-player uh, PVE, you know, co-op game, mm-hmm. uh, online multiplayer, and you play these um, space dwarves who take a dropship down to a planet, have to hit these mining objectives, and then get out. And, of course, you get attacked yeah. um, every time. And so you've got to, like, do this mining, fight enemies, and, then, like, get back to the surface before the dropship leaves. And it ends up being this, like, um, uh, really tense, amazing uh, co-op uh, experience. And it's just really, really fun. And there's nothing quite like it. Uh, and so, um, you know, hopefully hopefully that people are really going to like that one. Um and then, uh, yeah, so those are just some of the ones that are coming. There's tons more coming. Um, I can never remember what what's been announced or what hasn't been announced, so I always have to be careful about what I say. Yep. Um, uh, one game I do would love to just give a shout out to is uh, Ultimate Chicken Horse, which oh, that, game's that game is incredible. Super, super fun and uh, really, really fun to play on console, so love that one.
0: It's one of those rare games that you can just put in front of anyone and just have fun at a party there's like jackbox and then ultimate chicken horse is one of them where it's like hey i don't care if you don't play video games just play this thing and you are going to have fun and having those around for just local stuff is incredible uh chris where can people find you on social media and if they did want to submit a game to the id xbox program what's the best way to do that
1: yeah so easiest way to submit a game is just to head to um, xbox.com slash id and you can um fill out a form there it's all on the web you don't have to send us a word document anymore which is actually something that was based on people's feedback um <laughs> and um uh and um we hooked you up with um two dev kits at no charge um i think we're sending folks uh, uh xbox one x dev kits now as well That's as awesome. um classic x- xbox one dev kits um and then um let us know what game you're making and um and make it it's uh you know we try and make it as straightforward as possible. Um, then when developer gets closer to the end of the, the cycle, we um, will help them get through cert and obviously provide promotional support and everything like that. And, um, yeah, it's cool. Um, and if they want to find me on social media, I'm uh, at iocat on uh, Twitter.
0: All right. Perfect. Chris, thanks so much for doing this. It's It's been so cool to watch how much indie games have grown on xbox one the, the amazing stuff you're putting out and giving people this opportunity to like you said remove barriers and just get their game out there i'm just happy that we're not locked into a certain number of indie games in a year we can see stuff all the time releasing in between these major releases that really do have this this cultural flair or just this geographic sort of identity to them so i really appreciate what you do i can't wait to see what other games are actually coming out this year and yeah uh, the the xbox showcase at e3 is always fascinating to me almost exclusively because of the amazing indie reels that you do so i can't wait
1: cool yeah thanks a lot it's uh, it's been i can't i mean i wake up every day and i literally can't believe i get to do this as my job (laughs) and it's always i mean it's amazing to see the stuff that comes out it is always like way beyond your wildest expectations and so it's uh it is a fun job
0: it really sounds like i can't wait to see you on the giant bomb couch too every single e3 i love seeing you on the couch talk about all the different games that are there so that has to be a lot of fun for you too
1: yeah absolutely Perfect. always scary but... <laughs> just a little <laughs> bit you know it's
0: just because it's the camera on and it's a live show and there's a lot of people watching but only marginally scary uh so yeah thanks again for coming on thanks everyone cool, thanks, for a lot. thanks for having me absolutely hopefully everyone tunes back in for the next episode of the 1099